The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidenced of your repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up the children of Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and the fire. His whittling fan is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I think one of the most amazing facts about the Christian church is not just that it survived 2,000 years as it did, but that it got started at all. When we consider that band of disciples, the apostles that Jesus pulled together to assist him in his ministry and to continue it, because they're not all that impressive when we look at them individually, and even before the apostles, John the Baptist. Everything about him, his attire, his diet, where he lived, the message he spoke, which was very apocalyptic, rather frightening, accusatory of others. This is not the type of person you would hire to promote something you wanted to take off. Because to all appearance, he, he's a religious fanatic. He's eccentric. And yet in many ways, his attire represents his vocation. 
we would say he dressed for success because he's the last in a long line of prophets that God chose to prepare the way for the Messiah. And it was always believed that before the Messiah would come, Elijah from the Old Testament, that prophet, that he would return. So John the Baptist adorns himself like Elijah. And in doing this, it's a proclamation to the people who were looking for a miracle. They wanted something, they longed for something that now they see is possibly going to happen, namely their liberation from Roman oppression, the reestablishment of the temple, and basically a new Israel that God is going to reconvene and give them the, the freedom that they once had when he led them out of Egypt. So all of that is something that John is representing in the way he looked and in the way he spoke. But even more amazing than that is the fact that God even needed or wanted a John the Baptist. Because in truth, he didn't need him. God can do whatever God wants. He doesn't need our help. He can do when he wants, how he wants. And yet, consistently throughout the scriptures, we find God engaging people to accomplish his plan. Why? Does God just like working with people? Or by engaging us, is that God's way of helping us take greater ownership of it? Uh, who knows? But the fact that God wants people to work with him is reflected also in the types of people he chooses. Again, very unlikely candidates. Sometimes he chose very young people, like David, the prophet. Sometimes he chose disabled people, like Moses, who had a speech impediment. Sometimes he chose eccentric, crazy people, like John the Baptist. Other times he chose very flawed, broken people, like the apostles. And even St. Paul, he was responsible for the death of many Christians until his conversion. So what's going on? Who knows? But I think we can be certain about two things from just this. One, God uses people, and that includes us, to continue his work in the world. And two, given what we have seen of the people he chooses, none of us can ever say no. None of us can ever claim to be unworthy or not good enough. None of us is any more broken than those prophets, apostles, and disciples that punctuate the pages of the scriptures. So there's no excuse for us to not be a part of God's plans. So that leads me then to continue what I announced last week, which was the initiative to bring more people back to church for Christmas. I called the initiative, O Come All Ye Faithful. And I asked 
all of you to think of one person or one family that you have not seen here for a long time for whatever reason and just to hold them in your prayer for the week. And then I said, this week, I was going to make some suggestions and recommendations to invite them back. Now, it's you who have to do this. A priest cannot do it by himself, and we're all chosen by God to help with this. So in what I'm about to share in this PowerPoint, I've gotten from my years as a priest, 31, working in monastic communities of men and women, of working in parishes, in colleges, in a prison, in administrative offices in the diocese. And some of these suggestions I tried and found that they worked very well. Others I didn't try and wish I had. And some of them are just good old common sense. So let me direct your attention to the screen and propose this method that all of us can use in bringing back to Mass our fellow parishioners. So I asked you to choose a family or an individual whose absence has been noticed to pray for them, to pray that the Holy Spirit may inspire you in your invitation and may inspire them to have an open heart and mind to receive it. Next, you have to formulate the invitation. How are you going to do it? What's it going to include? And these are characteristics that I think are important. First, you have to be very genuine and sincere because people can always detect insincerity. The invitation has to be judgment-free. When you speak to them, I suggest you use the first person singular, I, I would like to see you back, something like that. Sometimes if we say the we, it's just too generic. So like, we're all talking about them. Whenever people say, well, we would like, I would say, give me names and numbers. So, I. Avoid being too generic, as they say, but be gentle, be positive. Avoid the guilt treatment. Sometimes that works in some cases, but I wouldn't advise it here. There's nothing wrong with a little guilt now and then. Uh, that's how Catholics have survived for all these years, they say. <laughs> but it is a healthy response. When goodness has been violated, you should feel guilty. And guilt is not the same as shame, right? So but not this time. If you know the person well, you can weave a little humor, maybe, to soften it, but there again, cautiously. I heard somebody once say, <laughs> someone came through the doors and he said, oh, I haven't seen you in ages. I thought you became a Jehovah Witness. You know, we don't want to demean another faith. They certainly don't want to be lectured or pressured and the invitation should be brief and succinct, emphasizing that they are missed. Avoid anything that sounds as if you're doing them the favor, being too sanctimonious or righteous. So, 
Those should define your invitation. Next, you have to choose a context where you want to do this and, and method. So whether it's going to be at home or in school, a workplace, restaurant, jewel, beauty parlor, gym, other places, you want to be sensitive to whether it's public or private. And then how are you going to do it? In person, on the phone, email, letter. I would recommend the person to person to be the most effective. Writing is a little difficult because you can't qualify it and you're not sure how that's going to be interpreted, so I would stay clear of that. But a personal confrontation in a gentle way meeting, I think, is the most effective. And after that, make the invitation. But be prepared for what they might respond with or how they might respond. They could get angry or irritated. They might feel hurt or embarrassed. They might be surprised, humiliated. They might be grateful that you took the time to invite them back. They might be flattered, honored, or they could be resentful. So all of those are possibilities, and it just helps if we're prepared for what those might be. Also be prepared for what they might give as reasons or excuses for not coming to church. They might say they've been too busy, or maybe there's a sickness that nobody knew about. There could have been family problems, or maybe they just got out of the habit. They could be angry at God, or angry at the church, or angry at a priest, or don't like the music. Maybe they feel they lost their faith. Or maybe there are financial problems right now that would make them embarrassed if they couldn't contribute. And there could be all kinds of other personal struggles that nobody knew until this moment when they volunteered to share those. What should your response be? First and foremost, it should be a listening response, attentively, without judgment. Don't discount their feelings or their experiences, even if they don't make sense to us, they make sense to them. And this isn't the time to challenge those or to take anything personally if their reaction is negative. But after all of that, assure them that this doesn't rupture the relationship that the friendship and the support will be ongoing. And if perhaps in all of this you've lanced a boil and they need to talk further and share their pain, if you're willing to continue being there to listen to that. Maybe they just need a ride. But make sure it ends positively. And then wish them a blessed Christmas. After that, you've done everything you could, leave the rest to God. It is God's church, after all. And although he wants nothing more than to help us or bring us to help him to make it vibrant and strong, 
In the end, it is his, and God has to do his part, too.